Woof, isn't that amazing? Tell you, we are in for a treat. Why don't you just, just quickly lift your hands where you are, and let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us this morning, but also next weekend as we gather. Wow. Lord, it's just amazing. We love what you do. God, it's so, ah, it's so incredible. Wow, what a father you are. Thank you that there's always more. There is always more. And right now, Holy Spirit, we say, come and encounter us afresh as a community. God, come and let this be another watershed moment for us as a church family. God, we thank you for all that's gone before. But Father, we pray, take us up to another level. Jesus, we pray, increase our faith. God, we pray for miracles which make frontline news. Father, we pray for miracles which utterly change people's lives. And we thank you that lady's life is changed forever because of what happened to her. And God, we pray for that to happen next weekend, but also from that moment in an ongoing way in our community. We pray for the gift of faith, for the miraculous, for signs and wonders and miracles. God, come and anoint us to proclaim the gospel with signs following. We thank you, Jesus, that you said greater works than these shall you do in my name. And so, Father, we take hold of that promise and we say, do something new. Do something new in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, rest on us, we pray. We say, come, Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for these four revivals that have come out of Randy Clark's visits. God, we just dare to ask you for that again in our nation. God, come and change our nation. Come and revive your church. Awaken the land. Reform our culture. Come, Holy Spirit. Do something extraordinary for the sake of your name in our day. Come, Holy Spirit. Why don't you just... Just put a hand on the shoulder of someone you're sitting next to and just take a moment just to bless them in the name of Jesus. Just pray for increase in their life. Pray that they would get more than even they are expecting. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, really warm welcome to you, particularly if you're here as a visitor. Uh, we are in the middle of a preaching series called Fresh Fire, which is all about looking at being a people of His presence, being a people where God shows up, where He's among us, getting rid of some of the stuff in our life that stops the working of God and having a life that is wide open to Him. And uh, Dr. Randy Clark's going to finish the series. He doesn't realise he is yet, but he is next week. He will conclude the series and I believe we're going to have some fresh fire in a really, really uh, profound way. And so just kind of, I guess, warming us up a little bit for next week, I want to talk about prioritising the presence of God in us as a community. Do you know that God's presence is meant to be the distinguishing characteristic of who we are as his people? You know, you could go to many places in Bedford to sing great songs, to read great books, to find great community, to engage in great hobbies. There are many things that we do in church life that you could go somewhere else to find. What is the thing that marks us out as different? Can I suggest to you, it's his presence. We are a people where God is among us. He's actually here. And again, you may have come in this morning not really sure whether God exists or, or who he is or where he is. Might I suggest to you that he is close to you right now because God is amongst his people. 
We are a people of the presence of God. It's what marks us out. And Moses, who was one of the most extraordinary leaders in the Old Testament, he had this moment where he understood something about God's presence being the defining characteristic of God's people. God's people, the Israelites, had been in slavery for many, many years. And then in a miraculous moment, God delivered them out of Egypt and they were heading towards their promised land, the land that God had promised them. But you know the story, many of you, Israel went through a series of moments of profound disobedience where they began to turn away from God and to other idols. They began to make golden calves and worship other images that were not the true God. And eventually, even God, who is full of patience, has enough. And he begins to have a conversation with Moses and he says, Do you know what, Mo? I'm sorry, mate. I'm not going to go with you anymore. You know, I've given you plenty of chances. The people are just ignoring what I'm saying. I'm going to give you an angel to go with you, but my presence will no longer go with you. And so Moses has a conversation with the Lord about this. And this is what he says in Exodus chapter 33. He says, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from this place. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish us from all other people on the face of the earth? Moses understood, do you know what, God, an angel is not enough. Some great promises are not enough. Some great feelings, some great songs are not enough. Unless you go with us, what makes us different from anyone else? We'll just be the same. We need you. We need you. And I want to suggest to you that we owe the world an encounter with a church that looks like it's come from the presence of God. That was an excellent point, I thought. (laughs) The world that we live in, that we inhabit, that you work with day to day, we owe them an encounter with a people that look like they have come from the very presence of Jesus. Because I tell you, it's him that marks us out as different. You can tell when someone has been in the presence of Jesus. And there's something about someone who's prioritized their life around God's presence that makes them glow, makes them shine, makes them radiate the very life of God. I remember just as a young 10-year-old kid being taken to a meeting by my parents by a healing evangelist called Ian Andrews. And he was remarkably used, a little bit like Randy Clark in seeing many, many people healed. And my parents took me to this meeting because I had uh, chronic eczema and asthma and bad sleeping habits. And they, they wanted me to get healed. Do you know, I didn't get healed at that meeting, but I did get something much more profound. I went to that meeting and I listened as a 10-year-old boy to Ian Andrews preaching about Jesus. But then he did something astonishing that I'd never seen before. He said, right, we are now going to see Jesus show up in this room. If there's anyone sick, put your hand up now and I'm going to come and pray for you. The first guy that he prayed for and he got us all to gather around as he prayed for him was a man who had one leg longer than the other by about that much. And he had a huge kind of step on his shoe. It wasn't just that his back was slightly misaligned. He had bone that was different length in his legs. And I didn't have a clue what was about to happen But as Ian sat him down on a chair and began to pray, all of us visibly saw this leg grow right out until it was the same size. And he was probably a bit taller. And it was the most remarkable thing 
I had ever seen, as in an instant God grew bone and sinew and flesh and tissue and muscle that just wasn't there two seconds before. And suddenly I had had an encounter with a God who'd showed up, with a God who was present. And I remember the effect on me because I left that room saying to my parents, Jesus is alive. Jesus is actually alive. I believed in Jesus, but I'd never really seen him present in that way. And from that moment on, there was a hunger in my heart for his presence. Can I ask you, are you hungry for his presence? Are you hungry for him among his people? Because it's the thing that marks us out as different. There are a few things that I want us to see this morning about this subject of God's presence. Firstly, I want you to understand that God's presence is the big idea of the Bible. (laughs) Do you know that God made man and woman for one express purpose, and it was this, to know him and be with him. That's how the story starts. It starts with God walking with man and woman in the cool of the garden. The story, in fact, the very first prayers in Scripture have nothing to do with asking God for stuff, but have everything to do with relational intimacy with him. That was just an aside about prayer. But do you know that the primary reason that God made you was that you might... Be with him. As Simon said earlier, that you might learn to walk with him. That you might learn to be with him. And of course, the story goes on that sin begins to interrupt this fellowship, this intimacy, this being with God. And the whole rest of the Bible is the story about God sorting out that problem because he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. That's why when you read so often the promises of God, they're about being with you. Jesus called his disciples that they might be with him. At the end of uh, his ministry on the earth, Jesus said, I'm going to be with you forever. When the Pharisees saw the early church, they made note that these men had been with Jesus. Do you get the idea? The big picture is God with his people. Do you know that the end of the ages is not going to be an eternal missions trip? Hallelujah. The end of the ages is going to be an eternal wedding feast where you get to be with the bridegroom, where the bride and bridegroom are perfectly united forever and ever and ever. The end of the ages is heading towards an incredible romance. It's a love story. The reason that mission exists is because of the love that existed first. God so loved the world that he gave his son. The mission of Christ was propelled by this heartbeat, this throbbing in the heart of God. I want to be with my people. I want to be among them. Not in an intellectual way, but in a real, earthy, relational, intimate way. It's what marks us out as his. There are different dimensions in Scripture to God's presence. Firstly, we understand that God is omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere simultaneously in all time and space and is not marked by the past, present, or future because he's everywhere all the time. That's a pretty amazing fact. Colossians 1 puts it this way. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That means when you brush your teeth, he's there. When you drive to work, he's there. When you have an argument with your kids, he's there. (laughs) When you go to sleep at night, he's there. When you're asleep and you're unconscious and you don't know what's going on, 
He's there. There's actually nowhere that you can flee from his presence. His presence is what holds everything together. His presence holds every molecule, every bit of DNA, every atom together. He is everywhere and there's nowhere you can flee from him. I find it funny when some people say, yeah, I'm just having a bit of a break from God. Really? He's not having a break from you. You may think you're hiding, but you're really not. You're hiding in plain sight in his eyes. Now, Carol and I recently, we were picking something up from her sister's house in Bishop Storford, and the, her sister was away with her family, so they gave us kind of keys to the house. So we kind of let ourselves into their house, and the house was kind of spotless. There was no one else around. And you know that temptation when you go into somebody else's house and not, not in it? You want to look through their drawers, don't you? You just want to kind of check stuff out and, you know, make yourself at home. And so we were just kind of hanging out in the kitchen, making a drink and trying to resist the temptation to look through the drawers. And then she got a phone call from her sister saying, I can see you. <laughs> I'm like, what? She's like, you've just made yourself a cup of tea in my kitchen. She's like, what? How do you know that? She said, well, we've just had these cameras installed in our house. And when anyone walks in the house, it triggers an alarm, it goes to our mobile phone, and the cameras switch on, and we can see whatever's happening in our house. We've been watching you for the last five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, phew, thank you, Jesus, we didn't get up to any mischief. <laughs> he is always watching. He is always present. He is the ultimate CCTV guy. He knows what's going on all the time. He's present. But also, we know the second truth about God's presence is that though he's everywhere, he also is an indwelling presence in our lives. Do you know that God no longer dwells in sacred buildings or shrines or places? Don't go to Mecca. Don't go to some special shrine. Let me tell you where God rests. In here. The New Testament says he now dwells in living temples of the Holy Spirit. The temple in the Old Testament was a physical thing. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, it's in temples of flesh. It's in human beings. He has now taken up residence in your life. That's why Peter, when he's preaching the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he says, Listen, repent of your sins, be baptized, and you shall receive the promised Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord God will call. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, the promised Holy Spirit is for you. It is not a reward for good behaviour. It is not a reward for, for Christian maturity. The Holy Spirit is given to all those who believe in Jesus. He is an in-dwelling presence. And that's why Ephesians 5.18 says, Therefore you should go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest to you that the filling of the Spirit in believers' life is the ultimate proof of how transformed you really are. The giving of the Spirit is the ultimate proof of how transformed you really are. Do you know there's a, a story in the Old Testament where David, the king, goes to get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament literally was God in a box. 
We often say, don't put God in a box. Well, God put himself in a box in the Old Testament. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And it was literally the resting place for God's presence. That's why it was at the center of temple life. It's why they carried the Ark into battle with them. Why? Because they were a people of God's presence. He literally, he rested in the box. He didn't rest in people in those days. He rested in the box. And so David is bringing the very presence of God himself back into Jerusalem. And they put this Ark of the Covenant on a cart that is being pulled by oxen. And they're making this procession on their way to Jerusalem. Suddenly, one of the oxen stumbles and the Ark, the very presence of God, begins to slide off the cart. And it says a man called Uzziah reached out his hand to steady the Ark so it wouldn't fall. And it says God killed him. And he died that day because he put his hand on the very presence of God himself. Because unholy met holy. Now, if you think that's unfair, you've not understood the presence of God yet. You've not understood, actually, that God, he is beautiful, he is amazing, he is lovely, he's intimate, but he is also utterly holy. He is utterly fearsome. He is utterly perfect. See, in the Old Testament, you see people coming in contact with the presence of God, and moments like that happen where it's fearsome. Might I suggest to you that the fact that you now are a dwelling place of that same presence is the ultimate proof that you really have been transformed because the perfect presence of God cannot dwell in anything imperfect. That's why John chapter 7 says, Jesus, he said, listen, if you're thirsty, come and drink and rivers of living water will flow from within you. And then there's a little parenthesis that says, He was talking about the spirit who had not yet been given because he had not yet been glorified. The reason the spirit had not yet been given is because now that you believe you are hidden in Christ and until he was glorified, you couldn't be glorified. That's why Paul says in Romans 8.30, those whom God called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. Do you understand that you are not just a slightly more polished up version of your old self? You have been completely transformed. That is why the presence of God can live in you. How you can coexist with him because he has made you a saint, not a sinner. This is actually incredibly scandalous that God could live in you and I. It's scintillating. It's incredible. It's amazing. I am a very dwelling place. Where I go, he now goes. When you go to work tomorrow morning, guess what? God is coming with you. (laughs) He's the passenger in your car, or you're the passenger in his car. (laughs) Because you're a dwelling place of his spirit. But we also understand this, that the God who is everywhere loves to show up somewhere. We believe in the manifest presence of God, a God who loves to put himself on display. And there are moments throughout Scripture and throughout our own history where God, as it were, although he's everywhere, suddenly seems to come closer. Hands up if you've ever had that experience where you've just known God has come closer to you, where he's stepped off the page, he's peeked his head out, and you're like, here I am. Do you understand that God is simultaneously everywhere, inside, but sometimes loves to show up? All three of those are true. 
And that's why you get these moments where tongues of fire rested on the believers, where there was a, a pillar of cloud, where suddenly they spoke in other tongues, where people fell over under the glory of God, where they had encounters that were just out of this world because God was manifesting himself, saying, here I am, I'm real, I'm alive, I'm really here. And we believe in the manifest presence of God. Now, there's a moment a few years ago in this church where we had a worship time and suddenly the room began to fill up with a burning smell. How many of you were there at that meeting? Anyone remember that? Numbers of us. And the room literally began to fill up with this kind of aroma of burning. And I remember PJ, he said he was so concerned that someone was burning the toast that he went out to the kitchen and wanted to check that there was no bonfires in the area, that there was no toast burning, and there was nothing. They were checking the air conditioning duct, but suddenly the room just began to fill up with this tangible sense of the nearness of God, his near presence. Do you know, I wasn't even at that meeting. I was driving home at the same time. My car began to fill up with the same smell. So much so, I pulled over at the side of the road on Cardington Roundabout, pulled up, pulled up the engine to check that nothing was burning, and nothing was, got back in my car, same fragrance was still in the car when I got back in. Jane, who worked on our reception, she said the next day her clothes still smelt the smoke from that meeting. I tell you, there are some times where God just steps off the page and comes close. He gives you a sign to make you wonder. I remember watching once a video of some Romanian teenagers worshipping and someone was filming them. There was only about 20 of them in the room, and they were just lost in worship. And as I began to watch this uh, on film, uh, literally the, the room began to fill up with a cloud until you actually couldn't see the people anymore. And those teenagers, apparently, when they were asked about it afterwards, none of them could see it, but the film caught it. And what happens simultaneously on that site is there is another group of teenagers who are on the same site and 20 of them almost spontaneously gave their lives to Christ in that very moment. Why? Because God had suddenly stepped off the page. He made his presence manifest. I believe in the manifest presence of God. Experience and encounter are not dirty words in the Christian church. I believe in a God that you can encounter. I believe in a God that you can experience. I believe in a God that you can know. I believe in a God who physically touches you and you know he's near. We believe in his manifest presence. And you know, his presence changes everything. Do you know that? His presence actually is the cause of fruitfulness. When you prioritize his presence, you get far more done by accident than ever you used to get done on purpose. That's what Bill Johnson taught us many, many years ago. There's something about learning to be a people who wait upon the Lord that causes you to get the right stuff done in the right way. Do you know, God is not anti-activity, but activity in the kingdom doesn't necessarily mean productivity. God is about the right activity, which always comes from a place of rest and his presence. That's why Jesus said, listen, if you abide in me, I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit to the Father's glory. Do you know it's a humbling thing to have to learn to wait upon the Lord? There's something about waiting that delivers us from the spirit of self-reliance. You know, I think very often we are very over-educated and under-experienced because we've not learned how to wait. Because waiting is humbling. 
in waiting was saying, Jesus, I'm not moving until I got you. Jesus, I can't be fruitful unless you're in me and I'm in you. Jesus, you're the one I really long for. I'm not leaving this place until I've seen your face in my mind's eye. You're the one that I need. Waiting is humbling, but it's the cause of fruitfulness in the kingdom. Got to learn to wait. Again, I love the story that Randy Clark tells about Heidi Baker, who again, many of you will have heard of. Heidi is a missionary to Mozambique, has been for the uh, last decade or so with her husband. And there was a time in Heidi's life where she and her husband were trying to plant churches in Mozambique. She was a super intelligent lady. She had a doctorate in theology from uh, the London School of Theology. Uh, she and her husband had been trying to plant churches. They planted three churches. Two of them were starting to not go very well, and they were a little bit frustrated. And they'd been trying for years and years and years to get something started. And she just began to cry out to God and say, God, there's got to be more. Why is this so difficult? She went to a Randy Clark meeting. You're going to go to one of those next week. And just as she was worshipping there, Randy picked her out and said, God says he's giving you Mozambique. At which point, she fell on the floor for three days. For three days, she was so intoxicated by the presence of God that other people had to feed her because she was lying under the glory. And she said, God, I'm not getting up until I have what you said I could have. And from that moment, in the 10 years following, they've now planted 8,000 churches in Mozambique. 8,000 churches. Why? Why has that happened? Abide in me, I'll abide in you. You'll bear much fruit. How's that going for you? How's that going for you? Sometimes I think our activity is very thinly disguised self-reliance, trying to pedal the wheels and make it happen. And it's not that God is anti-activity. Jesus said, my father is always at work. God's a worker. He created work. He made it to be fruitful and meaningful. He's not anti-working hard, but he is anti-working at the wrong stuff. <laughs> abide in me. I'll abide in you. You'll bear much fruit. Jesus comes to Mary and Martha Martha is busy in the kitchen making sandwiches that Jesus never ordered. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. Martha, you are anxious and harassed by many things. Mary has chosen what is better. What are you choosing? What are you choosing? Are you choosing him and his presence? We also understand this, that his presence among us is one of the things that delivers us from thinking like orphans. Do you know that orphans are not orphans because they have no biological parent? They are orphans because they've been deprived of that parent's presence in their life. It's the lack of presence that creates orphan thinking. Do you understand that? It's not the lack of a biological parent. It's the lack of presence. You cannot do fathering on paper. You can only do it in presence. And one of the key ways that God wants to deliver us from our old orphan ways of thinking is his presence. 
We haven't got time to read the whole scripture, but John 14, Jesus says, listen, I'm about to go to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm sending you my spirit. <laughs> sending you my spirit. Listen to this radio show yesterday, and it was about the effect of smartphones on family life. And this one caller called in and said, he, he was almost moved to tears when he was in a restaurant and he watched a family, a mother and a father and their two young children. And he said, the two young children sat there in silence for the whole meal while the mother scrolled Facebook and the father played a game on, a, on his phone for the whole meal. And he said, I just I was moved, almost moved to tears watching these two kids who were longing for connection but were not getting any. Might I suggest to you that the greatest threat to our nation is not ISIS, is not Brexit, is not the state of the economy. The greatest threat to this nation is fatherlessness and orphan thinking. <clears throat> and that is why we must prioritise his presence. Because it's one of God's key strategies for dealing with the old way of thinking. Because when we feel like we're alone, we start acting like those who are alone. That's why Jesus said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I might be going to the Father, I'm going to send you another counsellor who's going to be with you forever. <laughs> it's his presence that really makes the difference. What then should you do? Well, here's just a few things. Firstly, live a thankful life. Learn to cultivate the attitude of gratitude. Do you know thankfulness is not a feeling, it's a decision. Don't wait until you feel like thanking God until you start thanking God. Actually, thankfulness is a decision. And thankfulness and presence go together. So why Paul says, Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, singing songs and making melody in your hearts to God. Thankfulness and presence go together. You want to be someone who's overflowing with his presence? Cultivate a thankful life. Learn to avoid the golf clap. Oh, I'm quite impressed by that. Avoid that. Cultivate the attitude of thankfulness. Another thing you can do is this, is learn to make room in your life for encounter with him. Ultimately, we make space for the things that we really love and value. You're making space to encounter the Father? Is there space in your work day to just hear the whisper of Father God speak to you? Those are some of the most precious moments where you're just driving in your car, or you're going about your work day and you just sense God come close. Learn to host his presence well in those moments by not just moving on, but just take a moment and say, Father, I love you. I love your presence. Thank you for coming close. Create space in your life for him. Learn to linger longer. I tell you, his presence is one of the things that made me fall in love with this church. I love it that we are a church of his presence. But I tell you, we ain't seen nothing yet. There is so much more. There is so much more. And I'm believing particularly next weekend as we gather, it's going to be a watershed moment of God coming in his presence again. Why don't we stand? Let's pray together. going to get the band back. We've got a few minutes just to respond to him. Why don't you just close your eyes where you are. If you're 
if you're just saying this morning, do you know what? I am just thirsty for a fresh touch from God. I want to be filled with the Spirit again. Maybe you've never had that experience. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you've never really known whether God's filled you with his presence or not. But if you're thirsty for that, can I just encourage you to open your hands to him like you're anticipating receiving a beautiful gift. And we're just going to pray. Jesus made this promise to us. If you ask him for the Spirit, he will give you the Spirit. And so right now, Holy Spirit, we just say, come, fill us afresh. Fill us afresh with your presence. Lord, we thank you. This is what marks us out as different from the social club down the road. We're a people where God is present. God's here. God's here. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So we say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Let rivers flow in this place today. Let rivers flow. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet a Jesus follower. And this morning, just something's happened in your heart and you think, I, I want to know this Jesus. I realise now I was made for him. Then just invite him in where you are. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Fill me with your life. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just begin to put your hunger on your own lips. Start, start articulating to him with your own words, your longing for more of him. Say, Jesus, I long for you. Come and fill me again. Come and encounter me afresh. I pray that you give me more. I want to go deeper with you. If you've just been caught in striving and activity, just say, Jesus, I want to abide. I say yes to you this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for another move of the Holy Spirit in our community, in our nation. Come, Spirit of Jesus. Come, Lord God. Come, Lord God. In our day, pour out your presence. Let the world see that Jesus is alive.